0: Well, good morning, I'm glad that you have joined us today, and even glad to uh, apparently have some Canadians here in the building, they've come to Texas seeking out cooler weather, so make sure you give them a, a good warm greeting while they're here. Well, on Reformation Day, October 31st of 1999, Grace Community Church held its first service with a a small gathering of people. And those people were committed to the same purpose statement and commitment that we hold today some 22 years later to equip God's people to delight in his glory and then to declare that glory to the nations. And that is done by the building up of the body in sound doctrine and love. And therefore, to the glory of God, and by the grace of God for the continued good of this local church. This morning, we are installing Johnny Eads and Clayton Roberts as elders of Grace Community Church. And so if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 will be our primary focus this morning. But first, we're going to look at the, the larger context in which this text fits into and my aim today is basically to answer three questions why elders and what are the qualifications of these men called elders as well as what difference should having elders in this local church make for us so let's begin with the question why elders But I think in order to answer this question, from a big-picture perspective, we're going to have to go all the way back to the beginning, literally, to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. As you recall from Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible starts off with God's divine design. It was a divine design because creation came into existence by God, who spoke And then by his very word, a world of perfection came into existence, a world that reflected its creator. In the beginning, in this divine design, Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect fellowship with one another and with their creator as they lived by the very words that God had spoken to them. That has always been God's divine design, that his people would live by his word. Before Moses died in his last days, he gathered the people of Israel together and he also emphasized the centrality of the word of God for the people of God. As he said in Deuteronomy 32, 47, that God's word is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to possess. Psalm 119, 11, a familiar verse says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so what did God give to his people that they might know him, that they might delight in him, that might keep them from sin? He gave them his word. That is why in Deuteronomy, it says that the kings that were to be set over Israel, they were to write out the word of God for themselves. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 19, which says, And when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. And so for the church today, what has God given us that we may know him, that we may delight in him, that we may delight in his glory and live for his glory in all of life? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. that The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so God reveals himself and his perfect will for us through his word. And so from the very beginning, it is on the very word of God that we then see the devilish assault, the devilish assault. With Eve, the devil distorted. He defied the very word of God in order to deceive her and to tempt her to doubt the very goodness of God, which then led to disobedience and death. And thus, Paul wrote in Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man being Adam, and death through sin sin being disobedience to the word of God, to God himself. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So in other words, we are all now born with a sinful nature and we sin naturally. And so this past week when my youngest child had a fit of rage, guess what? I didn't have to teach her how to do that. When she didn't get what she wanted, she made it known. We sin naturally naturally. And apart from the word of God, all we know how to live for is ourselves. We see this in the book of Judges when the word of God was spoken. What did the people do? They neglected it. They forsook it. They did not pay attention to it. Judges twenty one twenty five says that everyone did what was right, not according to the word of God, but in his own eyes. Then what happened later in Israel? When the kings did not live by and lead by the word of God, they and the people turned to idolatry and they did what was detestable in the sight of God. And so in his steadfast love, what did the Lord do towards this rebellious people? He repeatedly sent his prophets to them to proclaim his word to them that they might repent of their sins and that they might worship him alone as the one true God according to the word that he had given to them. And yet from Adam and Eve to you and I, Paul describes sinful humanity. This way in chapter Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 12, he writes None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Did the word of God just ruin your self-esteem? If so, then praise be to God, because the root of all of our sinful problems is pride. We esteem ourselves as sinful people rather than esteem the one who was altogether without sin and whose our identity is to be found. By God's divine design and to conquer the devilish assault, God then sent forth the divine shepherd. The divine shepherd, who not only perfectly upheld the word of God, but was himself The word of God incarnate. Listen to John chapter one, verses one through five. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so allow me this morning to ask you the most important question that you could ever be asked. Do you know the word now i'm not just talking about having an intellectual knowledge of the words written in the bible but do you experientially know the word of god the only son of god who came in flesh who lived upon this earth as no other person ever has without sin have you come to understand that the, the wages of your sin, your disobedience to the very word of God, the wages of that sin is death, and that the only way that you can be made right is not by trying harder to do better, but by trusting in Christ's payment for your sin upon the cross. Do you believe that your only hope of the righteousness that God requires is not in your efforts but in what Christ did, his finished work upon the cross. Are you trusting in him, the living word of God, as your only hope of salvation? Oh, if not, I would plead with you to cry out to God that by his spirit, you might see your sin, your selfishness, your disobedience to the word of God as it is in light of the mirror of God's word, and that he might also show you his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the living word, in whom there is life he who is the light of men well when jesus came and began his earthly ministry like adam the first he also was tempted by the evil one but unlike adam as we see recorded in matthew chapter 4 verse 4 jesus said it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In his earthly ministry, Jesus taught publicly the word of God, but then he also taught the word to his apostles. Why? So that after his departure, as he would send the Holy Spirit and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the church then might be established through the proclamation of Christ, through the teaching of the word of God, as the disciples were called to obey all that Christ had commanded them. And so why elders? Why elders? Well, God's word shows us that these apostles, those leaders of the early church who were themselves eyewitnesses of Christ, they were to appoint leaders over these churches that were being established throughout the world at that time. These new leaders would then succeed those apostles in leading the New Testament church and leading the church today until Christ returns. And you guessed it, those leaders were called what? Elders. Elders. We see this in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. It says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, all the churches started by Paul on his first missionary journey were appointed elders. Paul says to Titus in Titus chapter one, verse five, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so as the apostles were entrusted with the word of God, they then by God's divine design appointed elders that would continue the leadership of the church. And this is what we see in first Peter chapter five, verse one, as well as Peter who was also an apostle writes. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. What did Paul then exhort the elders to do? What was the purpose of the leadership? 1 Peter 5, 2 through 5 continues. They were to shepherd, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. How were they to do that? Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So why elders? Well, until Christ, the chief shepherd, appears, there are to be elders of each church who serve as the desirous under shepherds. The desirous under shepherds. And of what are they to be desirous? Well, they are to be desirous to shepherd the flock, to encourage them to look continually to Christ and to become more like Christ until Christ, who is the chief shepherd, appears, until he comes again. And so look with me now, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so let me address three questions that arise from this verse. First, what is the office of an overseer? Well, an overseer is the same thing as that of an elder or a pastor who shepherds God's people in the context of a local church. Second, what makes the office of an overseer a noble task or literally a work in which they should aspire or desire? Well, it is a noble task, according to Acts 20, 28, because it is the Holy Spirit who has made them overseers. And for what purpose? What have they been entrusted with that this is such a noble task? The task is to care for the church of God. Which he obtained with his own blood. Regarding this noble task of holding the office of an elder, John Calvin writes that it is an excellent work and therefore toilsome and full of difficulty. It is no light matter to be a representative of the Son of God in discharging an office of such magnitude, the object of which is to erect and extend the kingdom of God, to procure the salvation of souls, which the Lord himself hath purchased with his own blood, and to govern the church, which is God's inheritance. Those who aspire and desire the office of elder, as Matthew Henry wrote, should earnestly desire it, for the prospect he has of bringing greater glory to God, and of doing the greatest good to the souls of men by those means. A third question that is answered in the following verses is this. What must then be the character and the capability of a man in order to be qualified as an elder, in order to be qualified for this noble task? Well, in addition to having the desire, the answer is put forth in 1 Timothy 3 verses 2 through 7. Verse 2 says therefore, therefore, because this is a noble task to shepherd God's people, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. So the first qualification above reproach, which really is an umbrella qualification over all the others, but to be above reproach is in direct contrast to those that Paul is warning about through this letter of 1 Timothy. There were many in here that he was confronting whose profession of godliness was not being matched by a life of godliness. In fact, it was quite contrary. And so why being approached does not mean that an elder has to be perfect because there's only one who is, and that is the chief shepherd. It does mean that one's belief in the gospel is exemplified in his behavior. May this be true of each of us here at GCC Elders and all of God's people in light of 1 Timothy 1, 1.5 should be known by love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Well, second qualification of an elder in verse two is that he is to be the husband of one wife. And so if married, the elder is to be as literally translated a one woman man, Now, commentators give various possibilities as to what this means. But given the context, I line up with the view that this statement means elders must have the character of a one woman man being faithful to his wife. An elder's marriage is to be a faithful reflection of Christ's love for the church As we consider Colossians 3.19, husbands are to do what? They are to love their wives. They are to love their wives and not be harsh with them. Because a husband who is harsh with his wife seeks to conform her to the selfish ambitions of his own world. Rather than to Christ through the spirit of God, by the grace of God, through the word God of God. Therefore a husband is an elder as an elder as well must be characterized according to Ephesians 5:25 as one who loves his wife as Christ loved the church giving himself up for her that he might sanctify her having washed her with the water of the word nourishing and cherishing her. The next qualifications of an elder is that he must be sober minded Sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. As one commentator put it, his pleasures are not primarily those of the senses, but those of the soul. He is filled with spiritual and moral earnestness. He is well-balanced, careful, steady, and disciplined. And so rather than being controlled by passions, he is prudent and he is purposeful he exemplifies ephesians 5:15 through 17 as he looks carefully how he walks not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil not being foolish but understanding what the will of the lord is he is sober-minded self-controlled and respectable in doing so continuing in verse 2 and elders also to be hospitable he exemplifies what 1 Peter 4, 9 says, which says that show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so in other words, he joyfully hosts and he delights to share with others that which God has lavished upon him. The last phrase in verse 2 is that an elder must be able to teach. Or as Titus chapter 1, verse 9 says, he must be able to give instruction. So give instruction or teach what? We'll look a few verses later into 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And here we have, in essence, a summary of the purpose in which Timothy or Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, he writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so the truth or the word of God, specifically as it relates to the message of the gospel, has been under devilish assault ever since the very beginning. And therefore, today in our time, it is the church that is to be the pillar and the buttress of the truth, of the word of God, of the gospels. Of the gospel, and the elders are the ones who have been entrusted to shepherd, to give oversight, to teach, and to help the church live according to the Bible, to know what they believe according to the scriptures, and then to behave according to those beliefs. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, a parallel passage to 1 Timothy 3, Paul adds that an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Summarizing, here the elders calling John MacArthur wrote, a shepherd's oversight of the flock expresses itself broadly in two ways. First, shepherds provide truthful, positive direction and leadership to the flock. Second, they watch for spiritual dangers such as sin, false teaching, and false teachers including Satan's assaults against the church. Into verse 3, we see that an elder is not a drunkard. How can anyone remain above reproach when he is drunk? Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so in contrast to a drunkard who is characterized by uh, debauchery, as he is controlled by the drink, An elder is to be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit as he is controlled and compelled by the love of Christ. Verse 3 continues saying, an elder is not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. In other words, an elder is not to be arrogant or quick-tempered or contentious, but is characterized by the Beatitudes and being meek and by being a biblical peacemaker. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Verse three also says an elder is not to be a lover of money. Again, a parallel passage, Titus chapter 1, verse 7, says that he must not be greedy for gain. And so God's word does not forbid the possession of money, but rather being possessed by the love of money. The reason for this, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And so an elder must not be a lover of money. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, Paul continues this list of qualifications as he writes that an elder must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? There has been some confusion about the uh, ESV's translation of the parallel passage in Titus chapter 1, verse 6, which reads, and his children are believers. But the Greek word here for believers can also be translated as faithful and seems to better fit the context of what's being written here. And so I think that the KJV version translates Titus 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 6 best as it says, having faithful children, not accused of riot." or being unruly. After all, if a man cannot lead his own children and manage his own children, and that they will not behave in his own home while they live with him, then how can he manage the household of God and lead them to behave in a way that's becoming to Christ? John Calvin wrote, he who is unfit for governing a family will be altogether unable to govern a people. And so the question becomes, do Johnny and Clayton govern their families well? Well, thankfully, our interaction and observation of them over the past years would give us a resounding yes. But following in the footsteps of the Puritans and to their encouragement and hopefully an encouragement to you, I have asked the oldest child in each of their homes if they could affirm that their father manages their household well and is a spiritual leader. And so I'm going to read to you, for the encouragement of Johnny and Clayton and to GCC, what they have said. So Johnny and GCC, be encouraged by these words from Gabriel. Dad is a great spiritual leader in our home. Every night, he leads our family in a family devotion and prayer time going through a book of the Bible and sometimes also a good Christian book to encourage us in our faith. He also encourages us to have daily times in God's word and also is always ready to give advice on which book of the Bible to read next. His godly Christian walk inspires us to grow closer to God ourselves. Clayton and GCC be encouraged by these words from Carter. My father has led us in godliness in so many ways. He often sits us down, taking us slowly through a spiritual book and helping us explain many doctrinal issues that my brothers or I do not understand. Whenever my brothers or I need a spiritual counselor, he is there. A work ethic like my dad's, I hope to one day aspire and emulate. Just as Paul called the Corinthians to imitate himself I can truly say that so do I wish to imitate my father. I honestly could not ask for a more patient or loving dad who looks more like Christ. Fathers, may this be an encouragement to us as well from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, that we would bring up our own children by the grace of God and the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These men do this well in their home. And by the grace of God, they will shepherd us well also. Well, verse six continues. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit or fall into the condemnation of the devil. Obviously, a new convert is more prone to stumble into sin, not knowing well the uh, the word of God, having just come out of darkness. And when he sins, he leaves a ripple effect, perhaps upon his own life and his own home. But when an elder, one who is well-established in the church, a leader of the church, when he falls into grievous sin, it's not a ripple effect. It's a tsunami effect that goes not only through his own home, but also through the church and affects the advancement of the gospel, as verse 6 says, by falling into the condemnation of the devil. That is, falling into condemnation on account of his own pride therefore, as Kent Hughes wrote, humility, humility seasoned by experience. Humility seasoned by experience is an indispensable qualification for eldership. As our spiritual lives are not a playground, but a battleground, as I believe J.C. Ryle said, who would you want to lead you into battle? A man who has five years of academic training in battle strategies or a man who has spent 25 years constantly out there on the battlefield? Somewhat of a trick question. I hope your answer to that is both. A man who has both the academic understanding but also the life experience. And as we consider an elder, he must not be a recent convert But in humility, he has learned in the course of time how to fight the good fight of faith for himself, while also helping others, according to Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, to run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And lastly, verse 7 Paul writes to Timothy, Moreover, he, an elder, must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. And so an elder must be characterized by integrity. He must be characterized by kindness. First, or as Titus chapter 1, verse 8 says, he is to be a lover of good, upright and holy. And rather than the disgrace that comes in having strayed away from the word of God. An elder is to exemplify the grace of God in personal godliness as he seeks to live out the word of God to the exaltation of Christ and to the establishment of Christ's church. And so Johnny and Clayton, as Paul exhorted Timothy, and as you join this team of elders today, hear these words as we come alongside one another, seeking to live out 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and following. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, having considered the reasons for, and the qualifications of an elder. We come to the, the third question and the fifth point on your outline. What difference should having elders like this, who desire, aspire to this noble task, what difference should elders make in your life, in the life of the dedicated members of this local church? Now, let me pause for a minute to clarify something that is perhaps Countercultural, but very biblical. Hear these words from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, concerning the, the leaders that God puts over us in the context of the local church. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over that which is of greatest importance to you for all of eternity. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give. An account, and so one of the implications from this text and many others in the New Testament is that being a part of the household of God means that you are a committed <laughs> member of a local church. And being a member of a local church is not like being a, a movie goer, where when you feel like it, you go and you go for entertainment, and after you're done, you review it and you critique it. That's not what it means to to go to church. Going to church means that we go and we gather with God's people. And by God's design, the church is an organization that's to be put in order that has structure. And that includes elders, leadership, as well as those who are the committed members who know that those elders have to give an account for the souls of those individuals. And therefore they willingly submit themselves to those elders, to the under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, that they may grow in Christ's likeness. But the church is also an organism. It's a living identity with Christ is our head. We are his body. We need one another as the body of Christ. And so we don't just go to church when we feel like it. We go knowing we need it. We go ultimately to, to worship, not to critique what happens up here on the platform, not a stage. It's a platform. It's a platform for the proclamation of the gospel. And we come with the intent to worship and to honor Christ with our lips and with our lives. And when we isolate ourselves from that, then we lose one of the means of grace that God has given us to pursue and to grow in godliness. And so as members of GCC, commit yourselves to the means that God has given to you through the proclamation of the word on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights, and be a part of that living organism to build up one another and to point one another to Christ, to the chief shepherd until he again appears. And for those of you who are looking for a church home, we would encourage you if this would be the church to join up with our foundations class, and we'll teach you more in that class of what it means to to be a member of the church and what this church is all about, namely the glory of God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, for our members here at Grace Community Church, what about you? What is your responsibility to these men who are being appointed to this noble task? Well, first and foremost, it is prayer. Pray for the elders that according to Colossians 1, 28 and 29 that they would seek always to proclaim Christ. Proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that they may present everyone, you, that may, they may present each one of you mature in Christ. And pray for them, according to Colossians 1, that as we toil to present you mature in Christ, that as we struggle to do this, we would do so with all of his energy, that he powerfully, works within us We can do nothing apart from christ we need him in all things him who strengthens us as the under shepherds to bring glory to him as the shepherd pray for us to that end second as members of this local church prayerfully apply the word of god to yourself for the purpose of piety prayerfully apply the word of god to yourself for the purpose of piety piety is synonymous with godliness First Timothy 3.15 says, you may know that you may know how you ought to behave, behave piety, godliness in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And so if you want to encourage your God-given leaders, your elders, live by the word of God. As members of GCC, you, you honor the chief shepherd, you honor the under shepherds as you not just show up on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, but you come actively ready to engage with the word and to love your neighbors as yourself. And so pursue piety and encourage one another in that pursuit. And that leads to a final application for you as members of the household of God. And that is one of Participation participation in the work of the ministry. As we consider Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, we see that it's God's design for the church to have shepherds. By the Spirit of God, He appoints, He raises up shepherds, pastors, teachers. But for what purpose? Why? Ephesians 4 says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so if any of you have been thinking up to this point, Oh, great, two more elders. That gives us eight. I don't have to do anything now. Take that thought captive. (laughs) No, rather, these men are being appointed to a noble task, according to Ephesians, to equip you, the body of Christ, for the work of the ministry. This is something that we do together. I guess you could uh, render this in the Texan translation this way, that they are to equip y'all for the work of the ministry. What does that ministry look like? Continuing in Ephesians chapter four, they are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for purpose, building up the body of Christ until we all, every single one of us, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the time when our right belief is matched by right behavior, that Christ is exemplified in our lives individually and as a church. And so may our belief and our behavior as a household of God be becoming of our blessed Savior. It is to that end that we are grateful that Johnny and Clayton have been called and raised up by God to help us further our purpose statement and vision here at Grace Community Church to equip you to delight in God's glory, and to declare that glory to the nations as they come alongside and help us be built up in sound doctrine and in love. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are a great and glorious God and that your design is perfect because you are perfect. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, that we may know you, and that we may know how to live for you. And Father, we thank you that in this time, as this local church, You have raised up these men. Father, be glorified through their lives, through this local body, as we seek to make much of you together. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.